Happy Saturday, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Crow's Nest. I'm Kelly J. Lewis. With me, as always, is Thomas Ware III and Dr. Kevin Crow. So, a few more Democratic candidates have bailed out. Kirsten Gillibrand, we haven't even been able to talk about that, about, you know, was she indeed really the one Trump was afraid of and why? That's what he said. He was like, I didn't want anybody to know that she was the one I was afraid of, but I'm like, Kirsten Gillibrand, really? Why? Because she's from New York, or I don't know. I mean, I no. It seemed like there would be others that would give him a, a better run for his money than she would have. So was that just like some patronizing? Uh, Maybe you know, what I you mean? know how like, he does. Yeah, it could have been something like that. Yeah, you know, she was the one. I, I don't want the Democrats to know she's the one I was really afraid of. And it's like, but hey, Andrew Yang made the second round of debates. Look at you go, Andrew Yang. Hey. That's, right. that's well, and again, you know what? We've said this, whether somebody likes him or not, he is is he is actually probably the most true outsider of all of them now. That and you know, and I was going to say that, you know, he's he's where Bernie was 4 years ago. He's he's and especially with universal basic income for our listeners who don't understand Andrew Yang's plan for universal basic income. What he's proposing is to do away with all social programs and give all Americans 18 years of age to 64 years of age a universal base income of a thousand dollars a month. That's twelve thousand dollars a year to every citizen. Um, and they can work and they can earn money and they can do all that, but they are guaranteed that money to live on. And there, there goes that. However, there's nothing to be said for anybody 18 and under. So if you got a gang of kids and you're trying to, you know, raise them on 12th thou a year, you, you, you're still going to have to supplement that or anybody over 65. 64, what happens to our elders? So our kids and our elders... Well, probably the elderly already have Social Security and stuff. But but under Andrew Yang, he's going to take... The, his his suggestion is to take out all the social programs. Well, I think, it, I think he means the social programs that go to that age group in the first place. I don't think he means... Social Security is different, too, than, than the other social programs. So, I, I, I mean, I think... I think what he means is stuff like a SNAP and you know things of that nature. You know, so I think that's what he means on getting getting rid of. I, I think that's a separate issue than let's say Medicare for the elderly and for Social Security. That I don't. That's that's a different issue. I think again, I'm not. I, I'm not that would sure. make sense. That would make sense as to why he would leave out the the you know everybody in between 18 yeah. and like chips for the kids and medicare right. for the yeah. so so in other words so, you're still you going to have the stuff for the younger and you're still going to have the yeah. stuff for the older it's the stuff in the middle i want to mention this and i have not looked at his program and i'm not saying i'm for it or against it i do want to mention this as you know one of course you may want to bring this up for your other show when you do uh, the the uh, island of dr garneau but dr garneau he and i were talking one time about this and of course and he knows this garneau will admit this he he tends to be uh, fairly left you know and he admits we're not talking about it, both oh, of us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we know. <laughs> but but, but he, he had told me this, and you may want to bring this up with him. He said the first time he ever heard about a program like this wasn't Yang, but he said he heard it from a Republican. And he says it shocked him because when he thought about this program initially, Garneau even said, well, that's pretty left-wing, even by his standards. Yes. But then, but then the Republican guy mentioned, and he says, well, here's the thing. What we have right now, when you look at the bureaucracy and stuff, cost us this much. If we do this, it's cheaper. Now, again, I can't comment on this. I haven't looked at it. But 
I don't dismiss it outright. I'm not going to comment on it yet, but I, but I would like to see those numbers if if it is cost savings. It's almost the uh, the per cap debate. Yeah, well, yeah, and and here again, what my issue and what I don't understand about that is just like you. I mean, you have your doctorate. Dr. Garneau has his doctorate. Yeah. So how does that affect universal base? I mean, you're still going to have to work and teach, but how does that affect overall income? Is that where, I mean, income taxes, there's a lot of things. There are a lot of holes in Andrew Yang's plan. Well, one thing is, of course, the other thing is that the, now I'll take now, now I'll take the Republican argument, okay? The other thing would be if you just pump that much in there, that, that, does that automatically just create inflation, that you have this much more money in the system. Maybe, but again, if that money is still in the system and we would have had the former bureaucracy getting in, there may be as much money in the system right now. Does that does that make sense? It, yes. This, I don't know. I mean, I I should look into it more. I will, I will if, it, if it starts catching on. The one thing that I'll give Yang, and, there are, and I want to mention this, I have read a lot of stuff, Yang, that I disagree with. I want to say this. Here's the way I will not attack him. I will say that he looks at some real problems and offers some solutions. Now, do I agree with his? No, not necessarily, but I'm not going to attack his character. I think he does look at real issues. I think he is trying to offer something. At the very least, he gets a debate going on issues that aren't being talked about. Like work automation. That, yes. That's one of his that's a major, major platforms. And he knows. He knows what he's talking yes. about there. Yes, and, and I was just fixing to say, that right there, he is an expert in how the job, how the workforce and how the the job availability. Yes. Okay, so I watched this thing on CBS. I've got to, Jane Polly wasn't on there. I don't like Jane Polly, so I can't watch her on CBS Sunday morning. And I watched it for years and years yeah. and years and years and years with Charles Osgood. And so it broke my heart. Well, anyway, she wasn't on this week, so I got, I got to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this company, and it's an apparel company. Who this this um, the owner decided he wanted to do he wanted to bring the made in USA back, but there was all these different barriers yes. and things like that. So what he did was he bought a couple of acres of a cotton farm, and he takes it from the cotton farm to the plant to the gin to getting it processed into thread to having it woven to dyeing it to making the final product. Now, this is all done in the United States. The hoodie itself is like $108 retail, but it's they tout it completely. as the most durable hoodie, yeah, completely yeah. made in the USA, and they're going off like gangbusters. And, and I feel like, you know, I think that it was hypocritical and very... Um, I wouldn't... I can't even say disingenuous, I, although I will... Um, I think it was very um, reckless for Trump to suggest that, well, everybody just move your manufacturing back on, back over from China. It's like, wait a minute. We don't have the manufacturing capabilities like we used to have. And that's one of the things that was so interesting about this story is that they're hiring community members in these um, factories and, and making these things. And they have these, instead of having like a, they have like these teams rather than like a um, an assembly line, and 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 they have like quotas and they get paid a certain amount. So it was really well, interesting. And the how other that thing, works. and I'm hoping Trump takes this route. The other thing, though, is about you know bringing them back. For years, Republicans and Democrats alike have given incentives to people 
to ship stuff overseas, if you look at the way our tax structure is set up. I mean, again, we've talked about this. Money doesn't talk. Money shouts. And you get these special interests who, you know, push around so they can play with the and get tax breaks for shipping stuff overseas. I'm hoping he's wanting to at least reverse that tax structure a little bit. I will say this, going back to Yang's proposal, I want to talk about this. And there is another part that Yang, again, he has given, he has at least propose something nobody else does. That's true. But, but the one part of Yang, who, and again, this isn't, nobody can come up with every idea. Let's give it to him that he's come up with something. He's looking at the financial part. But there's another part of this equation that we forget too. Now, this will show what type of conservative I am and why my word conservative often differs from most people. I remember when when we had our, our um, labor commissioner race in Oklahoma, the last one. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that always impressed me by Kathy Costello was she made this comment. And again, um, we're not talking about her policies, it's just I'm talking about actually right now something that she recognized. And she talked about work and she talked about the dignity of work, that this is important for people. I have never, other than her and her and her uh, late husband, I have never heard a politician talk about the dignity of work. But the fact is, you know, a lot of times you'll get people saying, well, they're too lazy, blah, 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 blah. And they, that's not true. Most people want to do something. They want to have a routine. They want to work. They want to have meaning. And there is a, there is something meaningful for work. And so while Yang's proposal might deal with part of the economic um, inequalities of the system, it doesn't get back to that fact, what happens when that work is not available? Well, People and I, needs meaning. Now, again, I'm not knocking him. That's, he's, already, he's already come up with one solution, but that's something we need to think about, too. Well, and I think his, his partial solution to that is um, training is renewable energy and training people how to run the robots because somebody's got to run the robots. But even somebody's that, gotta, even that, that's going to require far few people. Very, and, and you know what? Going back to the story, I was telling you the textile mill that gets the um, thread. Yes. In in the in the clothing in the apparel process, that is and and the owner of that even said we have to be automated. I mean, because we can't compete otherwise. We're not as fast. Humans just aren't as fast. And one of the um, points Yang makes is just about the human condition in work. We're lazy. We're not as productive we, when we don't want to be. We get sick. We break down. We take off. We, You know what I mean? We're robots don't. And so th- that was the, one of the... Um, A lot longer life. Life expectancy. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, and they, they don't get hurt on the job. You know, if they They're get hurt on the job, you. if they get hurt, yeah, they get hurt on the job, you just replace their part and go on. Mm. And so you're not having to buy them health insurance and you're not having to do all of that. But, but Andrew Yang's point is, you know, if you're going to change the nature of work, then you have to change the way that people are trained to do the new jobs. Because driverless trucks and all that, that's not going away. Well, and that's that kills, only taking And in off. Oklahoma, that kills the middle class. Oh, I mean, it, you know this. If we think over. of people who actually, especially where we are, the people who actually make a decent wage tend to be truck drivers. My grandpa was a truck driver. Yeah. My, my paternal grandfather was a truck driver. Let me rephrase that. Driver. The ones that have a stable 
middle wage. There I mean, you go. there are people who have oil, but oil goes up and down, up and down. But truck drivers economically do better than I do. I mean, you know, it's it's it, and and so when that goes away, that's going to be a, a major problem. And the other thing, and that about, is going away pretty that quick. That is. But the other thing is that's a lifestyle too. I mean, truckers. I would never want to be a trucker, but truckers like being truckers. They they really do. And, and as so, as the grandchild of one, yes. They and, very and the much thing do. is, people. I think people just by general have a certain thing they're meant to do. And if we start eliminating those, what does that do to these people's self-worth? Um, and, and here's something else that we need to do. This is a mental shift that we have to do. We have to also, and this is why I liked when Kathy Costello ran, when she said the dignity of work, we also need to recognize the dignity of work. And what I mean by that is when we say, let me give you an example. The Japanese years ago, one thing they do, when they downsize, everybody downsizes. It's not like they get rid of a certain percentage. They keep as many as they can. And the Japanese, for example, they will have jobs where people can clean streets, whatever, whatever. In America, we say, oh, that's beneath us. But for them, that is dignity. They do it well. It gives them something to do. D- does that make sense? Uh, they are playing a part. And I think in America, we need to look at that. We should never look down on any of these occupations. I mean, a person who does their job well, they need to be respected. Oh, yeah. And and that's that goes back to that old saying, you know, you you treat the uh, the doorman the same as the executive. That's right. That's you right. Know, and that's, if the doorman does his job well. Yeah, that's if right. he does his job that's well. That's right. Yeah. And, and if the executive doesn't, he doesn't need any respect either. The executive doesn't. Oh, yeah. You, you judge people by how well they do their jobs. Well, it seems that it's it's a lot more likely that the doorman is going to do his job well than the executive. It usually seems the like. friendlier. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's it. The fact is we, we see some jobs and we say, well, those are obsolete. Maybe we shouldn't make certain jobs obsolete. D- d- does that make sense? I but mean, the, people that have, the people that have the ability to keep jobs from being obsolete – are the people that aren't going to do it because they're the ones that are making the money off of it. The The way that this capitalist system is set up is to keep rich people rich and make them more rich. It's the reason why you've seen executive salaries skyrocket in comparison to how the salaries of the, the regular workers in the same companies, how disproportionate it is because – you know, back in the day, minimum wage hasn't risen nearly at the same rate as executive bonuses and executive salaries and on that level and that top that 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 division between the top one or two percent of the the wealth of the you know of the population or whatever, that's growing wider and wider and Everybody else well, is pissed about and it. The, People aren't paying and, their fair share of taxes. And a lot, a, a, yeah. and, well, the problem with what, what you were saying with the CEOs, the problem with that is is when you have large... Okay, if you have a corporation where somebody actually owns it, okay, and they have a stake in it, that that's part of their identity. And the company tends to do well because they feel that identity. I think back to Sam Walton, somebody like that. I don't have a problem with making a ton because he's putting his effort, you know, he's pushing through. But the problem is a lot of large corporations that have governing bodies and all this, they're like governments. They can be manipulated to where you have where they have their own little structure, their own little bureaucratic structure where they can protect a CEO and make sure that he maybe he's not doing the best for his company, but he's put in 
the people below him and all that who can cover him and all of this. It's just like a government. It is just like when you have a politician who can cover themselves through the bureaucracy. So the fact is, you know, capitalism works if it's pure capitalism. But what you set up is, is once you get to these large corporations, you're not talking about capitalism anymore. You're literally talking about what we call crony capitalism, All where they can... That's it, where they can rig the system to where they're not even doing what's beneficial for the company or the stockholders. They're finagling when it's beneficial for themselves. And this is this is the great quandary. You know, I always say that Republicans and Democrats both get half of the equation right and half of the equation wrong. And with the Republicans, they see the danger of big government. They see this. I mean, they legitimately so. They see how it can become unanswerable, how you have this bureaucracy that can be as corrupt as anything and get away with it. And so their solution is, I'm talking about the honest Republicans, their solution is, no, we need privatization. Because in their mind, some of these people come from companies who think, you know, if I don't do well, I'll fail. So there's this incentive. And I understand where their motivation is, but what they don't see is, is there are other companies where they have insulated themselves, they have monopolies, they don't have to worry about failing because they can manipulate the system, they can buy off. And so the fact is, a lot of large corporations where you don't have a single person or the stockholders aren't in complete control, it can be manipulated, they are as inefficient and as corrupt as government is. Now, on the other hand, Democrats have the same thing, but reverse. They see these evil, these giant corporations, how they can manipulate the market. Again, not true capitalism. They manipulate the market. They have a monopoly. Uh, they and, and people say, "Well, we have antitrust laws." Tell it to Google. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, it doesn't for real. impact Tell them. Tell it to Mark Zuckerberg. That's right. Okay, so they can do all this stuff. Um, and, and again, some you know, Democrats can can see that. So their solution is, hey, we need somebody to step in and kind of even the playing field. And so they understand, you know, antitrust laws, government, which can do that. But then they're blinded to the fact, though, that government can become that way, that you can have these agencies who can be powers into themselves, who are not accountable, who also have ways of kind of controlling the government bureaucracy to protect themselves. And so both of them see half of the problem. But the problem that they that they should look at is the problem of size. Size and accountability. That's and lack the two of transparency. things. And transparency. That's what you need in both in both areas. You know, it's funny that you use Walmart as the example because let's go back to when Sam Walton was alive. That's right. It was all made in the USA. That's I right. mean, that was absolutely And he went in the every... stores and, and you wouldn't did. recognize him. He yeah. would he would just dress yeah. like a regular person. He'd have like show a, up a, in a truck. On That's and it. Yeah, yeah, like he was just like and people a green, liked yeah. him. People yeah. liked him. And so but no sooner had he, did they put him that's in the it. ground. That's when Walmart turned from this, you know, five and dime mom and pop. Sam turned Walton into the and evil, the, the evil and empire. Turned, yeah, and and really did. And you know, his kids live right there in Weatherford, Texas. Yeah. And and okay, so since we are on Walmart, it's like I said, that was curious that you said that because it, it really did the entire nature of the corporation changed as soon as he died. As soon as the guy with the with the morals died. It was it was fair game, and now they're all billionaires. But okay, so on the topic of Walmart and their, uh, I say controversy with my air bunnies up. Uh, what do you think about Walmart's decision to discontinue certain types of handguns and ammunition? 
I think are you talking about how it's going to affect them or what? I mean, I'm I, just talking about in general. What are your thoughts? Because they, they they've decided they decided no, to I've, pull I've a lot of them. Yeah, I think in general it's going to be a, a bad business model for them. The reason I say that, if you think of the clientele of Walmart, a lot of it is rural areas, things of this nature. I think that may come back to bite them. I think they may lose money to places like Atwoods. It's not, it's not going to kill them. They're a big oh, corporation. Oh no, I was just fixing to say yeah. But what they're but the thing is, is this. Um, Walmart clientele is not Target clientele, and so I think there'll probably be a price to pay in the market from this decision. I think Target Target doesn't sell guns in the first place, but I think Target could get away with it. Um, but again, I don't know what how good of a business decision it is for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you know what? I kudos to to a company like Walmart for taking a stand like that. I mean, you know what? Even just a small stand like that, they're not going to quit selling guns completely. They're still going to sell certain kinds of guns and everything. It's just going to be just these certain kinds of handguns and this certain type of ammunition. And so me, to me, I feel like that is a positive step, even though, even if they may take a hit, I mean, in the grand scheme, like you said, Walmart's not going to go bankrupt over over stop, over stopping the sales of this. Because as, I mean, again, I'm a hippie liberal tree hugger, but I am a gun owner and a very, and a defender of, I say defender under the second amendment i mean nobody's gonna come and take my guns the danger from a conservative's point of view with this is it sets a precedent if this is step one what is step two does that make sense in other words if you can do this what can they do next that's always the danger too but here's the thing too walmart is a private corporation so the government can't tell a private retailer what they have the government cannot tell walmart this that's why that's why i started by analyzing it as a business notion that that's what it'll come back and bite them there does that make sense i agree with you the government can't mandate one thing or the other i think i think what's going to happen in people's minds is is though um i'll tell you i'll tell you not with walmart that's their decision I'll tell you where I do get more defensive on, and that is how you're having some of these banking companies and things of, uh, of this nature and credit companies putting pressure on retailers. Then that becomes much more dangerous. That is not a good precedent if you're looking at the – even though people say, well, this is – you know, if you if you slip in gun control that way, that is not a good precedent. And by the way, remember, that can also – even though that's uh, even though that's hitting conservatives right now, that model can also be turned around another way. I mean, it can, it can, you know, you could have liberal causes to be hit the same way in the future or whatever. That's what I don't like. I think if Walmart – I don't like Walmart's decision, you know, because you know where I'm on the Second Amendment. I don't like it. But the thing is, I don't attack it. That's their business. The attack will be what their what their customers how they respond. Now, having said this, the problem with the credit companies though is is when one company, one type of business, is trying to manipulate another corporation. That I don't they like have that. Cloud over. That yeah. they have cl- because yeah. credit that card companies, like. credit card companies can say, "Hey, credit we'll card shut companies." You out. That's it. Or credit are, are ones that that look at your credit, credit rating companies, all that. That's where. That's where I say no-go. You can't do it then. I think that it's alarming that Walmart has its own bank in Green yes. Dot. Yes, uh, well, uh, Arvest. Arvest is Walmart's bank. I yeah, Arvest is owned. No Arvest is owned by the Waltons. No who are the Walton Arvest family? Every yeah. Walmart. Yeah, that's why. I they they had may no be separate. Idea. Here's the thing: they may be separate corporations. They're owned by the same people. The Waltons have that. Yeah. Hmm. 
conglomerates. I'm telling you what. So, okay, Very so what do you think is the, what do you think? Uh, is, let me rephrase that. I'm not saying Walmart owns them. For, for legal reasons, it's not a Walmart bank, but you look at who the stockholders are and you can see on that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, in a way, they kind of are, even though I guess the legal definition, they're not, but wink semantics. and nod. Wink, wink and nod, yeah. Um, okay, so let me ask you this. So what do you think? Do you think the NRA still has like the clout of old? And I say the clout of old and just like since the George W. Bush um, era, it seems like that's when they really kind of got a lot stronger, the NRA, as far as lobbying and things I think, like that. I think what will happen, I still think you will have a pro-Second Amendment lobbying effort. I think in the future you have groups like the Second Amendment Association and stuff. I think they will I think if we were to go twenty years down the line, they will overshadow the NRA. I I think again this so those lobbying extras the the lobbying interests that you know that um that are favorable second you know uphold second amendments, all of this or gun rights or whatever, I, I don't think that lobbying I don't think I don't think that interest is any weaker. I think it will shift from the NRA ultimately to, and, and I'm not saying the NRA will go away. I think groups like the Second Amendment Association, some of those will pick up steam. So I think it's a wash when it gets to um, the people who have those interests. Does that make sense? Yes. And 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 here again, I mean, the NRA doesn't have the political clout like it used to. I mean, used to people like were really. But quake, I think what happens is a politician would would quake in their boots, and the NRA rating would be. But, but what most I mean important. is, I think I think if you take Second Amendment Association NRA, and you take groups like this collectively, the clout is still the same, just not with one group. Does that does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, and that's and I think that you know I'm I'm all for joining voices and everything, but I'm not for like like a consolidated. NRA to where they, you know, have so much political power like that like they're their own representative. Yeah. Like they have been because oh my gosh, look how many of the politicians have been lobbied and donated to from the NRA. Well, I can I, mean, I can say this too and and again nobody are very few people I can think of that are, are more second amendment than me. Having said that, you know, the thing about the NRA is a lot of times you'll have politicians whose views may be even more left than, than, than most Republicans would like, but they'll do one thing. They'll get that 100% NRA rating, and once they have that, they can do whatever they want in any other thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm one who I, w- I wish people would judge candidates by everything, um, you know, and again. I'm, yeah, I'm the same I, way. And, and, so, and so in general, the NRA tends to... You know, it tends to, um, when it comes to the general election, it probably favors Republicans over 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 Democrats. What I'm saying is, when it gets to the primaries, I'm not for sure that the NRA is as big a help to grassroots as people at grassroots Republicans in the primary as people think it is. No way. No because way. what happens is people realize, oh, we have to deal with this constituency. And what we ha- once we have this, we have our conservative credentials. Not looking at everything else, like when it comes to financial questions. I mean, you know, when it comes to um, uh, all kinds of issues, they look at this one issue. So, so again, you know, again, am I happy there's an NRA? Yeah, I mean, in general, I guess I'm happy there's an NRA. But I, I prefer, I actually prefer the fact that there's multiple Second Amendment groups out there. Sure, um, and it's like I said. I mean, hey, I'm far to the left. I'm I'm far, you know. But but again, 
I'm a gun owner. No. I believe in protecting myself. I believe in protecting my home. I believe in the death penalty. No. So, I mean, I'm complicated is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, no, I don't know. I actually think people like you and I are much more common than people think. Than, than, I think I think I think the media portrays our views as uncommon, but they're not. Yeah. And and again, you know, I understand that capital punishment, especially from a from a tree hugging hippie liberal like myself, you know what though? That that's my Indian ways. That that's yeah. my Indian soul, right? That's my native soul. Well by right the same there. token, you know, I'm strong, strong proponent of capital punishment, but I'm also a strong, strong proponent of public defenders that are well that are well financed. Absolutely. Because I want to make sure when we execute somebody, and I do believe in executing uh, you know, child rapists, serial killers, whatever. Yes. But I want to make sure that when we execute somebody, we know. <laughs> Does that well, make yeah, sense? Yeah, that they I mean, actually that's did it. it. That's and that's, it. that's one of the things that um, opponents of capital punishment, well, we've executed so many, wrongly executed so many people. But yeah, think about the ones that you have rightly executed that's too. Right. And those who are beyond, I say beyond rehabilitation, because there are people out there oh, like yeah. that. And there are people there are that there's, people. There's, there's no... They're a menace to society, yes, and yes. and that it has to be taken care of that way. Uh, thank you so much. Gosh, uh, yeah, that's got to be a whole nother show. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to catch us back here every Saturday at noon for another episode of The Crow's Nest. And if you have missed any of the past episodes, you can catch up on every single Solitary Crow's Nest episode directly from our podcast tab located on our Talk Jive homepage. Until next week, I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Thomas where the third and Dr. Kevin Crow have a great weekend and we'll catch you back here next week on Talk Jive Radio.